caution. What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. Now, we are quickly approaching our 100th Back to Jerusalem podcast, which is a really a big deal for us because that means that we've been producing a podcast several times a week, some of them short, some of them long, some of them a little bit controversial. But all of them are worth listening to to get an update on what's going on and happening on the field with Back to Jerusalem. And in recognition of the 100th podcast, we want to invite you to celebrate with us by going on a 30-day devotional. Now, the 30-day devotional is based on our 30-day mission devotional, which we've put into a book. And the only place to get that is on backtojerusalem.com. It's the only place that we make that available. We also make that available during our tours, our Back to Jerusalem tours, either with myself or Brother Yun uh, in the U.S. or in the U.K. We also have uh, the Back to Jerusalem devotional, the 30-day devotional, available right here in Sweden where I'm at now. It's available in Swedish. Uh, you can get that from Light for the People. Yusuyostur uh, is their Swedish name. Uh, Light for the People is their English name, and it's also available there in the Swedish language. It's not available anywhere else in the world, and it's, there's nowhere where it's available in audio form. But that's essentially what we're going to be doing. We're going to be making the 30-day devotional available in audio form so that you can listen to it on your way to work. You can listen to it while cleaning your house. You can listen to it while you're jogging on the treadmill. It's a 30-day devotional. If you're not familiar with our 30-day devotional, it's different than any other devotional that's really out there on the market today. Of course, I'm a bit biased, but... It is you. What you have is about thirty days. Uh, each day is done by a pastor, evangelist, or mission worker from China, who not only is a pastor, mission worker, or evangelist, but is also someone who has suffered for the gospel, uh, been put in prison, been beaten, been persecuted for their faith. And what they do is they talk specifically about what Bible verses, what sections of the Bible really stood out for them when they were going through the hardest part of their life. What part of the Bible helped them make it through that persecution. So maybe they have something to share. We're not talking about just insight that you get one day while driving down the road or an epiphany uh, while reading a certain part of the Scripture. While those are valid, 
Um, there's something very special about the voice of God during persecution and the things that are revealed to you during these times of trial, going through the Word of God. And, and, and sometimes they didn't have a Bible available, but they had to um, go through and try to memorize the different Bible verses that they had already um, uh, remembered uh, from the, the Bible that they had before it was taken away from them and they were put in prison anyway. Uh, On our 100th podcast, we are going to be celebrating by doing the Back to Jerusalem 30-day podcast in audio form. I'm going to be the one reading the podcast, doing doing an audio recording, but it's not just going to be like an audio book where I'm going to read straight from the book, though I I will read from the pastors and the the words that they write directly from them and the insight that they have, which is only about 5 to 10 minutes of a podcast, I will also be giving insight because as I sat down with each one of these individuals, uh, there was always something special that came up in our time together. And I'm going to be sharing about that in each day. So stay tuned with us on the back on the backtojerusalem.com website and follow along with our 30-day devotional. Now, if you go through this 30 days, I promise you, it's going to impact your life and the way that you look at different scriptures in the Bible because these are not just pastors and preachers getting up and and kind of expounding on what they understand from the Bible. These are individuals who have been persecuted. They have been going through some of the hardest times that man really has to offer for them. And out of that... They share the raw material that they believe God downloaded to them uh, during those times. And I feel that it it really is life-changing to listen to these martyrs of the faith and, and listen to what they have to say. Some of them are still alive. The ones that I was able to sit down and interview, some of them are no longer with us. Anyway, if you are listening to this podcast and you have not listened to the last two podcasts before this, stop. Seriously, go back and listen to the last couple because this podcast will make no sense to you at all if you haven't heard the previous couple of podcasts. Now, the previous couple of podcasts have been about Michael, a guy that we have been talking about um, for the last couple of days or podcast, however uh, you've been listening to these podcasts in order. Um, and Michael is ha, he's an individual who has been he, he is from here from the country where I'm at now from Sweden um, originally born in China came here during the um, uh, student uprising in 1989 uh, in Tiananmen Square and from there um, he came to Sweden to study but when the uprising took place he decided not to go back became a Swedish citizen got married raised his family here in Sweden. Uh, he has been working in Hong Kong, so traveling back and forth between Sweden and Hong Kong. And then uh, he has a special um, vacation home in Thailand. Michael has a very special job. He writes books, not just any books. He's not just any author. He writes books about the secret lives of the communist officials inside of China. That has gotten him into a lot of trouble because the the store, the books that he's written about those government officials has gotten those government officials thrown in jail, some of them for life. One of them had more than a billion dollars of assets taken back from the government 
And all of this has been talked about in Michael's books. Unfortunately for Michael, he decided to do a book on President Xi, the president of China. And from that time when he was at his vacation home in Thailand writing his next book, from there he was abducted. Some of it was caught on camera. The people that were um, a part of uh, his kidnapping uh, were were actually on camera coming back and checking his, his apartment, checking his computer. Now, um, it has been denied that he's been kidnapped. But as we've gone through and kind of looked at his case, we've seen that there were four other members who worked together with him at a place called the Causeway Bay Books. And they they the Causeway Bay... Causeway Bay Books sells books uh, specifically written by Michael and distributes those throughout all of Hong Kong. And as we found out in the last podcast, they had also been distributed in China, which is where Michael is at now. And Michael is being he he is he has he has been detained. Um, he is the last recording that we saw of him was back in January. Although um, the other ones that were arrested in connection with his case, um, all of them gave um, their testimonies and confessed. On camera in February, um, one of them being Libo, who is uh, who came back to Hong Kong and then was seen going back across the border into Shenzhen in a hired limousine. So now, uh, as we continue talking about the case of Michael, we had talked about where he might be held. And where he might be held today is probably different than where he was held when he was first brought to China. Because China has a system of secret prisons and secret jails. These are often referred to as black prisons or black jails. It just depends on how long you're being held there. And essentially what they are is that they are a network of detention centers that are used to allow the Chinese government to detain someone, keep them, question them, and extract information, all without any sort of due process, all without a trial, all without any legal restraints. That's why they're so popular right now. They're mainly used for political activists and Christians. And the reason why we have uh, been uh, uh, familiar with them is because of the way that they've been used on the Christian community. Now, now black jails are not officially recognized by the government. Um, the, these black jails are all over China. They're growing in popularity with the government. They're popular because someone like Michael who's been causing problems, well, he can be abducted, he can be kidnapped, detained, and questioned. And the questioning all takes place without the hassle of legal registration and courts and, you know, those pesky media questions. And not media questions from China because China owns the media in China. The government runs the media inside of China, but it's it's the... Western media outlets that are that that cause problems, but with the black jails, Western media outlets do not get access to those that are being detained. Um, they protect the government from scrutiny and international regulations as well. So China can say that they are abiding by these international regulations, but they're they're really not um, because of the black jails, and it's not there's no record of them. Now, China can claim to uphold an international standard when the things that they do are not 
um, that are not at an international standard are hidden. So when they hide those things, it's very easy for them to make an argument that, yes, our policies, our practices, our methods are all of an international standard. And that's easy to prove when the things that are taking place that are not of an international standard are done so in the hiding place of these black jails. Now, crowding is a bit of a problem sometimes in the Chinese prison. Now, not as much as in other Western nations because China has more people executed than any other nation on earth by far. Um, but black jails have been known to stuff more than 30 people into a single room. Now, that might rile up a couple human rights groups if it takes place in a legitimate jail or prison. But in a black jail that is not registered and is done um, in a government building, um, these black jails take place in government buildings. Sometimes they're in private residential areas. Sometimes they're at hotels. Also, extreme beatings can take place more freely because unlike a, a, a jail or a prison where a prisoner might be visited by family members or um, someone that could get the information out to state media or, or non-state media, um, extreme, extreme beatings can take place more freely because the body then has time to heal because if they are confined in these black prisons – and they've been beaten and they've been bruised or they've been bloodied or they've been cut. Well, those bruises and cuts have time to heal while they are in the, the, the black prisons or while they're in these secret detention centers. And if someone dies, well, you can deny knowing anything about it because there's no registration that those individuals were ever even arrested. Remember, before Michael gave his confession, there was zero evidence that he was in, even in China. Last time he was seen was in Thailand. So it would be very easy for officials to say, why would we have any clue where he's at when he went missing in Thailand, not China? Or he went missing in Hong Kong, not China. So it allows them the possibility to deny any knowledge. So if someone dies while in a black jail, the government can completely deny any knowledge about it at all. If Michael would have died, for instance, um, after his abduction in Thailand, no one would have been any wiser. No one would have known. Because who could prove that he was even in Chinese custody? And that is the purpose of these black jails. Now, when questioned by international news agencies and world bodies, China denies the existence of any black jails. In 2009, the official response at a, at a press conference by one of the top officials was, things like that do not exist in China. Things like that being, um, when, when asked about black jails, they said things like that do not exist in China. But how big of a problem are black jails really? Well, in 2013, there were 90 of them found. That, that, that doesn't include the ones that are not found. Remember, these are secret jails. This is a network of secret jails. These are not registered anywhere that we can find. However, 90 of them were found in the city of Wuxi alone. So that's just one city. There are um, several... Uh, videos on YouTube about black jails. Now there's one, it's the only one that I could find, the only video that I could find um, that is that shows um, 
Chinese actually going to a place where they know is a known location for a black jail. This is like a, a, um, a residential facility. So it looks like a regular apartment. Now, if you're familiar with China and you're walking around on the streets inside of China, you will notice that most um, uh, apartments on the first, second, third, fourth, even fifth floors usually have bars on the window and bars on the door. And there's always these. So if you are ever locked inside of a house inside of China, it's not easy to get out because the Chinese put bars on their door when I'm talking and bars on their windows. When I say bars, I'm talking about um, a metal composite uh, prison looking uh, bars. Now, when uh, we were living in the city of Kunming, uh, one of the first things that my wife does is take down um, any sort of bars because the Chinese love to have bars in their window for security purposes. She had those removed because she did not want to feel like we lived in a prison. And I think at that time we lived something like on the third floor or the fourth floor. So we, we, we were off of the ground. We were quite a ways up uh, off of the ground. But if you ever look at a just a normal Chinese residential area. Now I'm not talking about the, the suburban areas outside of uh, Shanghai that are meant to look like a suburban area outside of um, Indianapolis or, or L.A., they have a lot of those that have popped up, and so you have these big homes that look like uh, these American homes. They're modeled after American homes, um, but they do have large walls and large gates going into their house, so they don't have open yards with white picket fences that people can just walk by. They still have high walls around those houses, even though they may not have bars on their windows. If you walk through any community, especially the more west you go in China, the more you will see thick, strong bars over all of the um, windows. And then the doors are like reinforced steel. When we lived in Kunming, our door seriously was like a bank vault. It was all steel. The anchors were anchored into concrete posts. I mean, you, you there was not you were not kicking this door in. It was a thick bank vault type door that could have probably withstood a nuclear blast. It was insane the door that we had when we were living in Kunming. So there's almost a paranoia among the Chinese sometimes inside of China. Well, that's what this cameraman was able to go and, and follow a group of Chinese as they went and forcibly uh, broke into a uh, apartment, a residential apartment that was holding captive um, uh, prisoners or people that were a part of this black jail system. Right outside of where they were was a police car. But the police officers for that police car, because you had some angry mob members and they were upset because they had not gotten compensation for their house. Now, if you are familiar with the news lately in China, China, the, the, the building, uh, the construction rate is going at a mad pace, a breakneck speed. And new buildings are going up, skyscrapers are going up, uh, new airports, uh, airport expansions. I mean, there's construction everywhere you look inside of China. Well, that construction is taking place in, in areas where people have homes and residential areas. So what happens is the government comes in 
government officials and because you have state owned and uh, enterprises along with the government state owned enterprises meaning that the government owns these construction groups sometimes these construction groups make deals where people buy the property and then a certain amount of that compensation goes to the government but a lot of it begins to be funneled off to the government officials that are involved and the the CEOs of these state owned enterprises funnels off a lot of those profits into their pocket well a lot of those profits are hidden because there there's an inflated number that is reported as compensation for those that are being removed from their property, people that have bought land, bought apartments, use all of their life savings to buy properties. Well, when a new building uh, comes in, like let's say they're going to build a new Macy's or a new JCPenney's or a new Walmart. Well, the government will sell that land or a, a a contract to use that land. They don't actually sell the land, so you don't buy it and then own it forever and pass it on to your children. In China, you buy a lease. Uh, you can lease the land for 50 years or 100 years, but you don't own it. You never really own the land. So these individuals, they come in and they buy a lease to an apartment where they own the apartment for 50 years or 25 years. The government comes in and forcibly removes them from their property and promises them compensation, compensation that is equal in value to the, their property. But once they were removed and they're sent out to the countryside, they're never given the compensation. And oftentimes that money makes it into the, the pockets of the politicians. So a lot of these people, at least in this instance, what you're about to hear is a video of family members who were able to locate their family. How they were able to do it, I don't know. I don't know if somebody that was detained had a secret mobile phone with them. I'm not certain. Maybe they were able to find a way to get to a mobile phone and call a family member and tell them where they were at. Whatever the case, they were locked into a residential facility. And this mob of people, very angry uh, protesters, are coming to get their family and friends. They know exactly where they are. So the police were not going to mess with these people. There was not enough of them to face down the number that was coming to release these people. And they had a cameraman with them. And this is, the, um, this is that recording. So I'm just going to play a, a couple seconds of this recording. Found the jail. What happened to you in there? How long were you in there? So what you have is you have a mob that has come in. They went straight to a door. A cameraman filmed them. They have a Western guy with them who obviously sounds British. They were able to, the, the top of the door uh, was weak and they were able to bust through it until they made a hole. Once they made a hole, there was people uh, on the inside that were able to pull the, the uh, parts of that door away until they were able to crawl through the top of the door. So one of the people was this woman that is talking to this reporter. So she has just come out. So if you watch the video earlier, you can see her being pulled out of the top portion of this door and he interviews her right away. So this is inside of China. These people that are releasing them are holding up banners that are saying, end the black jail system and uh, pay these people what they're owed from the property that was confiscated from them. So I'll continue with, the, with this video. They locked me up inside illegally. They beat me. They swore at me, but never tried to solve my problem. 
The 50-year-old former civil servant had come to Beijing to complain to the government that she was still owed unpaid wages. And so from there, when she came to complain that she was still owed unpaid wages, they took her, they beat her, they tried to get her to submit to to whatever it was, whether it was um, denying that she was due those fees, whether it was um, saying that um, uh, she would wait for longer to get those fees. I'm, I'm. They don't really say or clarify on the video, but this was a remarkable sight to see this woman pulled out of this this uh, black jail now there are several of these uh, this is um, uh, a, a, there there are several of these videos that are actually online that show um, uh, Chinese uh, in black jails there's there's one such case uh, where there was a, a a lady who was able to see um, she walked right up to a door um, and I'm going to play it here. Just It's only a, a, a few seconds long. But she is a reporter for Al Jazeera. And she is researching. She's Chinese. She's researching black jails. She walks up to a door. She knocks on the door because she hears that this is... She, she receives information that this is one of the black jails. One of the jails in the network. So she just walks up to the door and knocks on the door. The door is answered by a man. And then once people on the inside hear that someone's looking for uh, potential detainees, she hears the screams of a woman from inside that's being illegally detained. We got the address from a former prisoner held here. I asked them a very simple question. What are they doing inside? You can hear this woman screaming. She just said, you're here to save me. You're here to save me. I'm trying to get out. Now she's been kept quiet. There are three men that answer the door. You can hear her. She's trying to get out. We've definitely found a black jail here. That door never opened again. We don't know what happened to the woman. So that was uh, an amazing on-the-scene report. So doing the research on a black jail. Now, you might have thought, think that, you know what, I travel to China very often. I've never actually seen a black jail. Well, don't be so sure about that. Because actually there's one woman by the name of Xie Jinghua. She was a 52-year-old woman who had her home demolished to make way for the Pudong Airport. Now for those of you that have ever traveled to China and ever traveled to, uh, to Shanghai, if you've ever traveled to Shanghai, there's only two airports in Shanghai. One is Hongqiao, which is more used for domestic uh, uh, flights, and then you have Pudong. And Pudong is more for international flights. Now, you can fly internationally to Hongqiao, and those flights are not any fun because that's a smaller airport, and you're, you're kind of uh, in the middle of the city, where Pudong is a more of this large, monstrosity, modern, new airport with great roads going back and forth into the airport itself. You also have the bullet train, the maglev. 
uh, that goes to Pudong, and that is a that is a train that uses magnetic levitation uh, to be able to propel the 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 train. It's it's a German-made train. I think it goes something like two, three hundred, four hundred miles an hour. It's it's insanely fast, and uh, and it's a, it's a it's a real treat to ride on at least once in your life. Um, but if you go to the Pudong Airport, that Pudong Airport was built in the area where uh, Mrs. Shia used to have her home, her apartment. Now, she was forcibly removed from her apartment and promised compensation. She had all of her investment in her home. So when she was pushed out, she had nowhere to go. She had to live with family until she got compensated for the money that was that they, they promised her to repay her for the apartment that was demolished uh, to make way for this airport. She never received the money. So she went to the government to protest. I mean, th- this has been several years now. And so in 2014, she went to protest and the government had had enough of her. And they had run out of space and in other black jails. So they rented a room at the Holiday Inn outside of Shanghai. Have you ever stayed at a Holiday Inn outside of Shanghai? Or in Shanghai for that matter. It is possible without any stretch of the imagination, without um, embellishing too much. It's possible that you stayed in a room that has been used as a black jail. Because black jails... Oftentimes, the people that are running the black jails work together with hotel owners. I kid you not. They take hotels where they can actually hold people hostage inside, question them and beat them. The 52-year-old woman said that she was there for a couple of weeks, beaten, um, went through sleep deprivation, food deprivation, inside of a Holiday Inn in Shanghai. Now the international, the inter- Intercontinental Hotel Group (IHG), which is the the overall umbrella group that owns Holiday Inn, told a CNN reporter that they do not endorse these policies. Of course, nobody assumes that they would endorse such policies, and they they will keep an eye on it in the future. Of course, they didn't have any idea, but it was local management working with the government. And sometimes, you know, we've built hotels. Back to Jerusalem has built hotels and run ho- runs hotels where Back to Jerusalem missionaries work, train, and then go out and build other hotels. It's it, hotels is kind of a strong word; they're more like guest homes or guest houses. We have um, um, one hotel with over fifty rooms, uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of the kind of hotels that we build. But um, we know the kind of contracts and negotiations and relationships that are absolutely essential for. Um, business owners to have with local government officials. And sometimes those can cross very gray, blurry lines and end you up in a situation where your hotel rooms are being used as a prison cell, as is the case for 52-year-old Shia. Now, one of the things about black jails inside of these secret prison system, prison system networks inside of China is that they are extremely effective at getting confessions from people. In 2013, there were 1.16 million people charged with a serious crime inside of China. But, get this. Now, now put this in your mind. 1.16 
six million. Now, if you have to think about this as as money, how would you like to have one point one six million dollars? Okay, now think of that. But somebody takes all of that money except for eight hundred and twenty-five and leaves you with eight hundred and twenty-five dollars. How would you feel about that? In 2013, 1.16 million people were charged with a serious crime inside of China, but only 825 people were found to be innocent. That is a remarkable track record. That is a 99% conviction rate. So either the Chinese only arrest people who are truly guilty, or they have a seriously amazing way of interpreting crimes and the criminals who commit them. This is like minority report movie type of events. If you're familiar with that old movie with Tom Cruise and almost all of the people who are charged with a crime that is punishable by death are executed and their execution doesn't wait for years or even months. Sometimes it's within days and weeks. China executes more people than any other country on earth. Really, after you look at these numbers, a 99% conviction rate, the only difference between an innocent person and a guilty person is about 12 hours of torture in one of these black jails. Uh, Without witnesses, the black jails can make confession processes go a lot easier. People confess to crimes that they never even knew existed. Why? Because when you're being tortured, you you will confess to almost anything. You will lean on whatever it takes to make the pain stop and go away is what people will do. And here's the thing to know about these, these black prisons. About 80% of the prisoners who are held in black prisons or these secret prisons are female. So eight out of every 10 people who are taken to these black prisons are female. One of the reasons why is females are a lot less likely to escape. Um, they're going to usually be a lot more docile when it comes to meeting the demands of the, the those that are imprisoning them. Um, women are targeted in black prisons by physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. So uh, sexual assaults can be used as a way to extract information from these females. Um, when it comes to females being held in these kind of secret situations, there are several Christians that we can actually point to. One of them is Sister Esther. Now, I'm just going to touch on her a little bit, but if you want to know more, I would I would highly recommend that you read her book. Now, her book is already available, the book of her testimony is already available in Swedish. You can go to Light for the People's website, if you look them up, Light for the People is their name in English, and they have the name already available, or they have this book already available in Swedish. Uh, the book will be available for the first time ever, printed in English by Wisdom. Whitaker House, it will be available in October during the Back to Jerusalem tour with myself and Brother Yun. Now, this this book that's coming out in October of this year is called Smuggling Light, and it is a phenomenal story about a Back to Jerusalem missionary. She was a Chinese-born, uh, Korean ethnic um, believer um, who was called to North Korea. She ran away from her calling— and God continued to 
whisper in her ear to bring her to the lost people in North Korea. She went to North Korea finally. She went to North Korea. Um, and the trials that she went through to bring the gospel to those people were, I mean, you're, you will have to pick your jaw up off the ground. People that she was helping uh, individuals that she was helping would take her children and hold them, hold a knife to their throat and threaten the life of her children if they didn't uh, give them more uh, free stuff. Um, she was she was captured in North Korea um, and, and held in prison only to miraculously escape. She was then taken to a secret women's prison in China. Her family member, I'm not going to tell you which family member because uh, her, her family members are still living in China and their security is very important to us, but one of her family members was a police officer. And even the police officer could not find the location of this secret underground uh, women's facility, detention facility, where she was being held. And then she escapes from that only then to cause so much problems for the North Korean government that they, this is, this is real, they sent mercenaries after her to kill her. Uh, it's this remarkable story. You you have to read it. It's available uh, only in English through Back to Jerusalem and Whitaker House, available in October. But she was held in one of these secret prisons. Just like we believe Michael was in the very beginning part of his abduction. But Michael, going back to the story of Michael, the beginner, the, the beginning person for all of these stories that we've been telling um, about him, the famous five that were arrested from the Causeway Bay book selling group, um, and then into the secret prisons. But he wasn't the only one who's been held in secret prisons and abused. He's not the only one that's been abducted for printing questionable material. There have been several believers that have been working together with Back to Jerusalem that have also been held and detained, just like Michael. So even though we don't know where Michael's at right now, even though we don't know where he's being held, we can t still make a, 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 a paint a bit of a picture about what he's going through because of our experiences with other individuals. And that's what we're going to talk about on our next podcast. Other Chinese who have been arrested and held in prison against their will for simply printing books. No other, no other reason. They weren't slandering. They weren't lies. They were just not approved by the government because they were Christian books. And we're going to talk about those individuals from booksellers to book printers who've been put in jail, beaten and tortured, and, and served time in prison for getting the word out there, for printing books and Bibles, both of those together. And we will talk about that next time on our next podcast. And if you liked this particular podcast, then please, I invite you to give a shout out to our production manager, Chase Weatherly, our visual department, Stone Johnston, and our public representative, Belinda Chadwell. And remember that this episode is brought to you by the letter N, as in 
in never done in a studio. And we apologize to any atheists or critics who may be offended by this program. We would like to ask for your forgiveness, and we actually offend you on purpose because we need practice at asking for forgiveness. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you. There's a simple way for us to help ISIS victims. Drink tea. It's that simple. By drinking a cup of Back to Jerusalem Chinese tea, you will bring hope to the refugees displaced by ISIS. It is a healthy way to make a difference. So invite friends and family to your home for a Bible study around a warm pot of organic Chinese tea. Does your church have a cafe? Add Back to Jerusalem tea to the menu. All profits go to help ISIS victims in Iraq and Syria. My name is Jung, and I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. It is considered quite dangerous for me to share the contents of this book, but these are stories that need to be told for God's glory and the encouragement of the church. So begins the extraordinary first-person account of a prominent leader of one of the largest underground churches in China. This dramatic true story is told in Back to Jerusalem's latest book, I Stand with Christ, by Eugene Bach. I Stand with Christ is a detailed account about a former Communist Party member who took a stand for his faith in Jesus and was targeted for prison, work camps, and torture. See how he goes from the prison cell of China's maximum security prison to leading one of the largest underground house churches of 10 million believers. Be amazed at this true story of suffering, sacrifice, and triumph. I Stand With Christ is available at www.backtojerusalem.com or where books are sold.